beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, how would you feel if someone took a picture of you, framed it, stared at it a lot, showed it to others, but completely ignored the real you? You wouldn't appreciate that, would you? Well, neither does the Lord want to be treated in this way. He wants to have a genuine relationship with us. And therefore, our worship of Him may not just be a ritual. The Lord wants us to know Him and to live in close fellowship with Him. The way in which we serve the Lord is very important to Him. The second commandment is devoted to how we are to serve the Lord. In this commandment, God forbids the making of idols. He commands His people not to serve Him as the nations served their gods. God wanted His people to serve Him in the way, in which, in the way that He had prescribed. It's so important to the Lord that He includes both a threat and a promise with His commandment. The threat is that He will bring the consequences of parents' sin to bear on the lives of following generations. The promise is that He will show His steadfast love to thousands of those who love Him and keep His commandments. Today we'll examine how easy it is for us as God's people to sin against the second commandment. The result of one generation serving the Lord in its own manner is that following generations often do so as well. The danger is that over time, the service of God falls by the wayside. Then God's people sin not only against the second commandment, but also against the first. They fall away from serving the Lord and give other things in life a much higher priority. So this afternoon I preach to you God's Word under the following theme, God hates all self-willed worship. He will punish the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate Him. We'll see how self-willed worship is not pleasing to the Lord, how this sin has consequences for the following generations, and how we are called to serve the Lord according to His Word. One of the themes running through the last five chapters of the book of Judges is the theme of self-willed worship. Judges repeat, repeats the refrain, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Judges 18 begins with the statement, in those days there was no king in Israel. And following the statement, we read about the exploits of the tribe of Dan. Judges 18 makes it clear that this tribe did what was right in their own eyes. Just like every other tribe, the Danites had received an inheritance from the Lord. Joshua 19 records the land that the Lord allotted to them. The Danites had captured a small part of this land. Yet Judges 18 tells us that they were seeking an inheritance to live in. Why did they need more land? Hadn't the Lord given them an inheritance that was large enough for them? The Danites' problem was not that their inheritance was too small. Their problem was that they did not trust the Lord or follow His commands. 
The Danites refused to come out in battle when they were called to fight in the service of the Lord. They did not trust that God would deliver the Canaanite nations into their hands. They didn't destroy them as the Lord commanded them to do. The result of not claiming their own inheritance was that they didn't have enough land. And that's why they sent out spies to find another place for them to live. The five spies sent out by the Danites found another place for them to live. It was far to the north of the land of Israel. It was in a fertile valley which was occupied by a group of people who lived in a town called Laish. Judges 18 emphasizes that the people who lived there dwelt in peace and safety. They were secure because they were quite far removed from any of their neighbors. But their isolation was also a disadvantage. Since they had no ties with anyone, there was no one to come to their rescue. The spies recommended attacking Laish because the land was very good and because it would be easy for them to take it. 600 men of the tribe of Dan went up to Laish and they attacked the people there with the sword and they burned the city with fire. This was against the express command of the Lord. The Lord had put the seven Canaanite nations under the ban of destruction. Yet the people of Laish were not among those nations. Deuteronomy 20 makes it clear that for people like this, the Israelites were required to offer terms of peace. If these terms were refused, only the men were were to be put to death, not the women and the children. And so the Danites were wrong in utterly destroying the people of Laish and in burning their city with fire. This went against the direct command of the Lord. The sin of the Danites was compounded by what they did on their way to their new home. They stopped by the house of Micah and stole his ephod and his household gods. They also asked his priest to come along with them and be a priest to them. They rebuilt the city of Laish and called it Dan. In it, they set up for themselves this carved image. Micah's priest, Jonathan, and his son served as priests to the tribe of Dan. And so we see that the Danites decided to serve the Lord in their own manner. The basic problem with the Danites' worship was that they wanted to serve the Lord by means of an idol. This is expressly against the second commandment. God forbade his people to bow down before an idol or to worship it. But that's exactly what the Danites decided to do. They'd settled in an area north of Israel. It was a long way from the place where the tribes regularly gathered to worship the Lord. They could not be bothered to go and worship the Lord as a sanctuary, as he had commanded. Exodus 23 required them to make three annual pilgrimages to the sanctuary of the Lord. Every male in Israel was to appear before the Lord at least three times each year. But the Danites decided to worship God in their own manner. They went ahead with their own self-willed worship. We could summarize the situation of the Danites by saying that although they retained the outward form of religiosity, in actual fact they were disobedient to the law of God, and specifically they sinned against the second commandment. We see their outward religiosity in that they put the city of Laish under the ban. And in that they continue to worship God 
Yet their self-willed worship is clear in that they put the wrong people under the ban and that they worshiped the Lord precisely in the way he had forbidden in the second commandment. Today, we often think that the second commandment doesn't really apply to us. We don't make idols or bow down to them. And so we think that we're free from sinning against this commandment. How wrong we are. Any time we seek to serve the Lord in our own manner, we sin against this commandment. Beloved, how often doesn't it happen that we perform the outward rituals of our religion without truly devoting our hearts and our lives to the Lord? We do most of that which is expected from us, and yet we don't always live in communion with our God. We'll perform our religious duties, worshiping God on Sundays, praying with our meals, and then we'll go ahead and live the rest of our lives as we please. Outward religiosity will not save us. God wants His people to serve Him from the heart. Serving God needs to find expression in our daily lives. In order to be free from sinning against the Second Amendment, we need to avoid making idols in our lives. I know we don't make idols out of wood or stone or precious metals, and that we think it's stupid to bow down before a carved image. But what we easily forget is that we can make almost anything into anything in our lives into an idol. Isn't it true that we're easily enticed to follow other gods? Have money or possessions never been an idol to you? Don't you strive after money so you can buy the things you want to get, so you can get ahead in life? Are you at all conscious about your self-image? Do you work hard to present yourself in a certain way so that People will respect you and admire you. Would it be fair to say that pleasing people and being respected by them is sometimes more important to you than pleasing the Lord? We live in a society that puts so much emphasis on self, and that rubs off on us. Aren't we all guilty at times of putting ourselves and our wants First, doesn't it happen that what I want is more important than what God requires of me? Isn't that often reflected in, our, in the use of our time? Beloved, does the church have a prominent place in your life? Are you faithful in your church attendance? Or do you skip services regularly? Are you involved in any kind of communal Bible study? Do you take time to visit and support fellow members of the church who could use your encouragement? Do you witness of your Savior to those around you in daily life? See, beloved, it's easy for us to look back at all those sins that the Danites committed and to be really critical of them. But we're in danger of sinning in a similar manner. 
In the day and age in which we live, our attitude is often one where we're going to do what we feel like doing, and woe to the person who dares to make any kind of comment about it. That expression, in those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes, matches our society to a T. We're also influenced by that mentality. And so we need to examine ourselves and we need to ask the question, do we recognize Jesus Christ as king in our life? Are we willing to submit to the direction of his word and spirit? We also need to challenge one another about the way in which we live our lives. With love, we need to correct one another. And with humility, we need to accept loving encouragement from each other. That'll help us to serve the Lord in the manner in which he has commanded us in his word. Beloved, we've seen how self-willed worship is not pleasing to the Lord. It's sin against the second commandment. In our second point, we see how this sin has consequences for the coming generations. Judges speaks about the results of the Danites' self-willed worship. Judges 18 verse 30 tells us that Jonathan and his sons were priests of the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. Verse 31 emphasizes that during the days of the judges, the Danites continued in their idolatry. It says that the Danites continued to use the idols Micah had made all the time. The house of God was in Shiloh. Therefore, at least until the time that the ark was lost in battle against the Philistines, the Danites continued to serve the Lord in their own manner. Judges 18 makes the point that the Danites' self-willed worship was carried on from one generation to the next. The sins of the fathers become the sins of the following generations. In this, we see what is meant by the warning of the second commandment. God commanded his people not to make an idol or bow down to it and worship it. He explains, saying, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. When God says that he is a jealous God, we should not misunderstand this. It doesn't mean that he is resentful or envious. Instead, it means that the Lord is possessive. He is protective of his people. He wants his people to live in fellowship with him. He wants to be our father, and he wants us to be his children. To emphasize the seriousness of idolatry, the Lord warns that he will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate him. This does not mean that God punishes children for the sins of their parents. In Ezekiel 18, the Lord makes it clear that everyone is punished for his or her own sins. There the Lord says, the soul who sins shall die. The Lord explains that a son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor a father for the iniquity of his son. The righteousness of the righteous man will be credited to him, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against him. And so the Bible makes it abundantly clear. Each person is punished for his or her 
own sins. Yet in the second commandment, God warns us that the sins of the fathers have consequences for their children. The children are punished for their own sins, yet their parents can lead them into such sins. Children learn through the example of their parents. If we do not live as image bearers of God, as holy and blameless and irreproachable Christians, our children likely will not either. If we decide to serve the Lord in our own manner, our children are going to be inclined to do the same. That's what it means that the iniquity of the fathers is visited upon the children of the following generations. The Bible gives us a strong warning not to serve the Lord in our own manner. It's clear from what happened to the Danites. When they began worshiping an idol, they wanted to serve God through it. But their children soon forgot about God, and they worshiped the idol itself. And since the Canaanites also worshiped these kinds of images, it was natural that over time the Danites associated the images with the gods of the Canaanites. And in this way, they fell away from the service of the Lord. Their idolatry continued in the days when the kingdom of Israel was divided. Jeroboam, king of the northern tribes, instituted the worship of golden calves in the northern ten tribes. He did not want the people to go up to Jerusalem as the Lord had commanded them. He thought that if they did, the kingdom might be reunited and that he would lose his kingship. Jeroboam was very shrewd in his placement of the golden calves. He set one up in the north, in Dan, and the other in the south, on the road leading up to Jerusalem. And thus he turned the people away from the service of the Lord. It was natural for Jeroboam to choose Dan as a center for this false worship of the Lord. It was located in the far north part of the land. Its inhabitants would have to travel the furthest to make their three trips a year to Jerusalem. Besides this, the Danites had a history of serving the Lord in their own manner. This sin had already been passed on from one generation to the next. Thus, Dan became one of the centers in which a golden calf was worshipped in Israel. The Bible makes clear how much the Lord hated this sin. Time and again, it refers to how successive kings and the people walked in the ways of Jeroboam and all the sins that he made Israel to sin. The final result of the sin was that the Lord sent his people off into captivity. Let's deal with one more scripture passage that shows how the sin of self-willed worship has consequences for the following generations. That passage is Revelation 7. It records the number of the sealed, the 144,000, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. The 144,000 are those who have been chosen by God and redeemed by the Lamb. What is significant about this passage is not what it says, but what it does not say. If you have another look at the 12 tribes of Israel that are listed, you will see that the tribe of Dan is omitted. The tribe that set out to worship God in their own manner is thus excluded from mention 
among his children. Revelation is not saying that no Danite will be eternally saved. The Old Testament clearly shows that many individual Danites were true children of God. But the point should be clear. Sin against the second commandment has consequences for the following generations. Self-willed worship leads to death. In Revelation, the tribe of Dan is no longer counted among God's people. And so, beloved, we see the importance of serving the Lord in the manner in which He has commanded us in His Word. How we live in our relationship with the Lord not only affects us, but it also affects the coming generations. Our Lord Jesus Christ's warning in Matthew 18, verse 6, takes on a new meaning. Jesus said, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it'd be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Our actions have consequences for the coming generations. Heartfelt love for God is evident in how we live our lives. Our children are very good at discerning whether we are truly sincere in that. Children can smell hypocrisy from afar off. We can preach to them about how we love the Lord and serve Him. But if that's not reflected in our lives, then our words are empty. We can say that the service of God is important. But if we don't begin the day with Him, it sends the opposite message. If we skip out on regular Bible reading, if we neglect to worship Sunday afternoons, if we fail to give of our first fruits to God, these things send a strong message that God is not really the first priority in our lives. Then, beloved, we maintain the outward form of religiosity, but we've lost its heart. Our deformation may not be obvious, but it will bear its fruit in the generations to come. Brings us to our final point, and we'll see how we're called to serve the Lord according to His Word. The children of Israel were often unfaithful in their service of God, and ultimately, that is why God sent His Son into the world. Jesus came to render to God the obedience that we sinful people never could. Jesus came to obey His will perfectly so that He could offer up His body and blood as a sacrifice for our sins. It's striking to see Jesus' absolute devotion to doing the will of his Father in heaven. In John 4, verse 34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In John 6, 38, he said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Hebrews 5, verse 8 teaches us that although Jesus was God's Son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. For Jesus to serve God according to his word was not easy. Yet Christ persisted 
on the pathway of suffering. He went the way of the cross. He did it for us to redeem us and restore us to God so that we might live as his covenant children. In the second commandment, God calls us to serve him according to his word, out of thankfulness for all that our Savior has done for us. We are called to live in obedience to this command. Beloved, that means that we need to learn to deny our own will and do the will of our Father who is in heaven, to live in obedience to his commands, not in our own strength, but by the power of his Spirit. And to encourage us in that, God has added a promise to the second commandment. It is that the Lord will show steadfast love to thousands of those who love him and keep his commandments. In making this promise, God is not saying that every child of believing parents will necessarily be saved. In his divine wisdom, God has not chosen every child born to believing parents to be an elect child of his. And yet the Lord's promise is, he will bless the faithfulness of those who love and serve him. His covenant blessings will be poured out on the children and grandchildren of those who devote their hearts to him. If we live close to the Lord and our hearts are devoted to him, our children soon pick up on this. From the choices we make, our children will see that we're genuine in the service of the Lord. Often it's in this way that they learn to know God as he is, to trust him for what they need, to love him and to devote their hearts to him. The promise of the second commandment gives us a strong incentive to deny our own will and serve God according to his word. His blessing rests on all who love him and who live in close fellowship with him. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing together. Psalm 25, stanzas 2 and 6.